At uncontrolled airspace in the virtual hangar, the pilots were chatting, but then heard a bang or a noise of some kind from behind the tool shelf. Twas a man dressed in red, a quite jolly old elf. He opened his pack, and he flashed them a look, and he rummaged around, and he pulled out a book. The pilots all hoped there was something for them. They begged, Santa, look in your pack once again. Did you bring me a gadget? An avgas container? He said, no, you've been bad. I've brought just the disclaimer. But Santa Claus smiled as he read to them there his message of wisdom and safety and care. The UCAP members, those wise old flyers, are speaking their very own thoughts and desires. The folks whom they work with might not feel the same, and that is all right. No one is to blame. The stories they tell and advice, while terrific, you take them as general and never specific. When you're in your plane and pilot in command, keep all of your training right there close at hand. Assess your own situation that day and fly your own airplane just like my sleigh. And they heard him exclaim as he flew out of sight, But you knew that already, so have a good flight. Ho, 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 ho. This one I want to know. This guy who uh, works for the F or used to work for the FAA. Uh, yes. No, no. Well, here's the part I want to understand. So apparently, forget the FAA part. That if you work for the federal government, there's a website you can go to where you can get stuff for free. Not everybody. I mean, not, well, not, not everybody. Not just him. Not, yeah. not for you personally, but for your your department can like get stuff from other departments, apparently. Yeah, because well, this right. guy, so this guy figured out how to game the system, and uh, he happened to be an FAA employee who figured out how to game the system, and was was basically requesting things like cars and trucks and airplanes. Yeah. And yeah. Getting them, and he's like squirreling them away in various places until somebody found him out. Somebody Is that what happened? Yeah, he I, gave what one to his uncle. Like. Yeah. I mean, not squirreling away. He gave him away. Yeah. Well, what, was know, he giving him away, or was he just asking his friends to hold on to them temporarily? No, he, he retitled it. That definitely demonstrates to me intent to uh, convert. Jim, Jim and Jack and I, Amy, we all know that the vast, vast majority of the good people at their friendly aviation administration office at 800 Independence and their facilities, good, straight-up people, honest, hardworking, uh, you know, get abused badly when people use the word bureaucrat as an epithet. Yeah. But and then this there's guy this guy. Really ga- this guy really gamed the system. He really did. Yeah, he could have been in any agency. He happened to be at our friendly aeronautical agency. Uh and he had to post two hundred thousand dollar bond to get out of jail, so I imagine he had to sell that boat. I'm thinking at <laughs> least his cousin had to. There was more than one boat here. Uh-huh. I'm just reading from an AP story uh, uh, covering this. Among among the two hundred fifteen items, uh, this guy's name is Stephen Bradley Smith. Among the two hundred fifteen items Smith obtained, allegedly since- obtained. 
this doesn't even say allegedly. This says <laughs> obtained. Uh, since 2004, were a Cessna 210 from the Forest Service, probably run out, you know, there you but anyway, a Boston whaler from the Coast Guard, uh-huh. several computers, and a 44-foot Navy yacht that had been used by the ROTC at the University of Washington, the charging document said. Um, they got any bonanzas? Yeah, yeah, really. But you know, <laughs> any Chris Crafts? You know, Ferrari. The guy never retitled the Cessna, but somehow or another, he managed to get it insured in his name. Yeah. And when it was damaged, he got a forty-five thousand dollar <laughs> check. Right. And I, I just, I hope it wasn't my insurance carrier that did that. Oh. <laughs> I really hope it wasn't. Oh. Um, Damaged in a storm while parked at a Louisiana airport in 2007. So, you know, what was this? What was this airplane in the meantime? I mean, who's been flying this airplane? Him, probably. My my take on this is that the guy got jealous seeing the way so many contractors have ripped off so much money in Iraq. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that he thought, Jesus, why does it all have to be ripped off over there? We could be ripping off stuff right That's here right. at home. That's right. That's right. It's just trying to be I, an I'd, equal I'd opportunity. I'd love to, to, to take a whack at this website, though. That sounds like So a what hoot. you're telling me is it's a, it's a Robin Hood kind of thing, Dave. Is it's, uh, he was just well, sort of stealing from rich to give like, to you know, himself. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Robin Hood in the traditional sense of rich people taking rich stuff from poor people. Uh, in this case, it was a rich federal government and a poor guy, and he was helping himself. He wasn't helping out other people. 215 items. Oh, that's the thing. Items. My God. Like, did he not think he was going to get caught eventually? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, let's keep going. You know, I don't know. Anyways, that's not really an aviation story, but he was an FAA guy. But he, he was the one bad FAA guy, right? They're all good guys. They are really all good guys. Here's, here's the last line of this, last two lines in the story. Um, um, so-and-so, I don't know who this guy was. I have to read up in the stories. Says, said the, I'm speaking on behalf of the government. So the government would try to reclaim its property if it can find it. Quote, there's another Boston whaler missing, and a bunch of other boats we're still looking for, he said. Oh, I, man. Yeah. Uh, you know. for, the next, for the next 10 years when something's missing, they're going to say, it. Hey, Stephen's got it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Maybe Stephen's got it. Let's go talk to him. Let's go chat anyway. This story from the Associated Press, we might add, uh, when it was run. This is uh, November 20th. It was November 20th. Uh, the guy still worked for the yeah. FAA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which just shows you that, in fairness, he was going to be fired properly. Whiskey, whiskey Tango Foxtrot. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode 111 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday evening, December 4th, 2008. And uh, let me say hi to the folks that are here with us in the virtual hangar. One of those voices is uh, Dave Higdon. He's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How you doing? Brr. Oh, really? Doing yeah. good. Is, doing it, is, good. It, is uh, it cold out there? Well, the uh, the little there? ponds in the park next to our house have got a uh, about a half inch of ice on them. Wow. And it gets a little greater in the area and a little thicker every day this week. So, uh, But we haven't had any freezing precip. Just frigid freaking morning. So... Uh, yeah, it's winter. You know, it's coming up on winter time. We're only uh, what? Uh, oh, one, two, two and a half. 
two and a half weeks before it being officially the shortest day of the year. Two and a, no, the for shortest. Oh, don't get me started on the shortest day of the year. Uh, and also here, let's the also here in the virtual hangar is one half of our Florida contingent. Uh, is uh, Jeb Burnside is talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. I'm. How you doing, Jack? I'm good. Good. I'm, good. I, I'm sitting here barefoot, sleeves rolled up. You know, doors are open. Yeah, it's it's it's. We don't yeah, have I'm that ice stuff. You. I'm coming to visit. Yes, you. You know, yes. I'm looking forward to that. I'm going. I'm coming down I'm there look, for. I'm uh, looking forward to that weather anomaly when the uh, orange farmers are all dragging smudge pots uh-huh, out uh-huh. because it's dropped to 28 degrees, and all those folks with summer houses and no central heater going. Whiskey Tango. <laughs> <laughs> the other half of our Florida they contingent. They do occur. They do occur. It's our good friend Amy Laboda talking to us from Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Amy. How are you? And if you thought that Jeb sounded warm, I'm only a little bit south of there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. That's My right. feet are bare, too, and the beer was cold. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm coming down there. <laughs> we're coming down to. Uh, we're we're probably going to come down there, Amy, to or your, not your neighborhood, but Florida for uh, the Sebring show. Uh, oh, in, wonderful! Uh, I have every in, intention of being there. So, yeah, uh, let's do have lunch. Absolutely, and uh, this is the uh, Sebring. We'll talk more about this on the podcast uh, in a few weeks. But the uh, Sebring. Uh, what's the formal name? The Sebring the Sport- U.S. Sport Expo. Sport Expo, which has sort of become an LSA show, right? Yeah. And uh, um, well, that was and, kind of the idea behind it when it started. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it? Okay, yeah, and, so uh, and it's become an LSA show. It is an LSA show. Always. And was. another friend, another friend of the podcast, Dan Johnson, has been on a number of times talking to us. He was actually on f- from the grounds one time. And uh, I've ever since then I've been thinking I'd, I'd love to go down there, and especially as an escape from winter. It's sort of, I, I'm sure that's that was never that never crossed their minds when they decided to schedule this in January that people would want to escape from the northern climbs. Right. But, Just like uh, Sun and Fun never thought, of, you know, right. wow, let's have right. a show down here and people from the north can come and 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 enjoy some warm weather. Sure, that never right. crossed their mind. And, yeah. So it, things particularly didn't cross their mind uh, this about the third show when they had about two inches of snow fall on Lakeland. Yeah, <laughs> you know. so almost so never can, happens. If things go as planned, uh, I'm going to make it down there, and I think Dave's hoping to get down there. And uh, I'm planning on it. Jeb lives just up the road, and mm-hmm. Amy lives just down the road. So, uh, anyways, and I am Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to hey. you tonight from uh, beautiful downtown White Plains, New York. Uh, there is no Jack H like our Jack H. Where I am uh, uh, on traveling on business again, uh, and uh, I'm in. I'm not going to tell you the name of the hotel I'm in because I'm going to tell you that it has the world's worst hotel Wi-Fi that I've ever come across. And uh, this is like, we should, uh, we should, in fairness to the hotel, we should say that they picked the world's worst Wi-Fi contractor to supply that service. That may be the case. That may be the case. In any event, um, it's uh, it's actually holding up pretty good right now. It's not quite as I characterized it earlier, whoop, whoop. Dave quality connection. Except for the pop up, yeah, and the pop ups but, and the pop ups yeah. and. Of course, you know all this will be translated translated to Arabic or something before. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, knock on wood that uh, knock on wood that the connection will hold up here and uh, we'll be able to pull this thing off. That's it's sounding pretty good right now. So, anyways, uh, what's going on in the world here, uh, Amy? You pointed us in the direction of some really interesting. I only got a chance to kind of look at some of it, but this Cirrus jet briefing information. What's going on here? 
Yeah, well, uh, Cirrus uh, wanted to make sure that the world had the chance to see what they've been doing. And so they had a WebEx um, kind of a press briefing yesterday. And then afterwards, they put a couple of very interesting videos up on their website, um, one of which is a full walk around um, of the vision jet and which talks in detail about the changes they've made to it and the type of flight testing they've been doing and also the full presentation which is 43 minutes long which speaks again about uh, the changes that have been made to the jet since flight testing commenced uh, last summer correct me if I'm wrong there but I'm pretty sure that I'm right and there have been a lot of changes. Uh, I don't know if people noticed, but uh, it doesn't have winglets anymore. Um, the angle of entry of the and exit of the air through the jet engine that's kind of piggybacked and, and wedged onto the back of this airplane um, has been changed. And all in the, in the hopes of trying to make it perfect so that you don't get any pitch changes with power changes. Uh, anybody who flies an airplane that has market pitch change with um, power change knows what I'm talking about, particularly anybody yeah, who flies like a lake amphibian or something like that. Particularly apparent in pusher installations. Yes, right? that's exactly the truth. Um, so anyhow, uh, these are all the kinds of things that um, they talked about, and in to great length. One other thing I must say is that, um, and it was Alan speaking today, uh, or yesterday, he did also talk about the hiatus from production that Cirrus is taking. Mm-hmm. And, really? What do you have to say? Well, you know, they're, talk- they're basically taking a month off. Mm-hmm. They're sending everybody home for a month, and they're right. paying them uh, some kind of a salary because he seems to think that people should be happy and just, you know, enjoy the holidays and, and ride their snowmobiles. Wow. Well, that's very interesting. So how does that save them money if they're still paying people? I well, guess they- I think there's money to be saved. There's no way in my mind that they can be paying them as much money as they would if they were in. Also, it costs money to turn the lights on and turn the power on and run a factory. Yeah. yeah. It and it costs is a lot of money. And it is Duluth in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Duluth and, <laughs> wait, wait. and Grand Forks, right? The way Forks, it been right? trade to me was that they were getting a, uh, uh, a reduced, uh, something more like a stipend than a full <laughs> salary. Companies continuing to pay their benefits... Yes. Things like health insurance, which is of critical importance to anybody smart, uh, and then like 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 you said, Amy, uh, just running the shop. Uh, if you shut the shop down, then you don't have machinery running, autoclave heaters mm-hmm. running, the lights aren't on. You can turn the furnaces down. Uh, which could be a big savings in a place like Duluth. It could be a big savings this time of year. Another thing that I noticed is that they may also be doing some cutbacks due to uh, attrition. Um, A dear friend of mine, Kate Dowtry, has uh, decided that she is going to pursue other options 
and has chosen to leave the company. And she was the head of uh, of basically public relations. So yeah, a bunch yeah. of us got a got a note from today from uh, Alan. Yes. Yeah. With that news, and yeah, we all got that. I think uh, I was I was kind of dumbfounded because uh, of all the PR people out there for for an airframer, she's very um, dear. Yes. Uh, just, yeah. a, just a just a very sweet lady and a uh, pleasure to work with, and uh, she will be missed. Ah, uh, yeah, but I have a funny feeling that yeah. uh, she's going to be doing what she wants to do. So that's what counts. Yeah. That's what counts. Yeah. So the jet, the jet video. I was actually this gave me an opportunity to go back and look at some of the older stuff. They had some fun videos of the first flight of the jet and mm-hmm. uh, 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 what's it called Which now? Actually, the vision actually has a name now. The vision. Yeah, the, the vision. Right, and uh, um, that looks pretty cool. Pretty cool airplane. Um, I got so, to see it up close at at, at Air Venture this year because uh, I drew the straw to be out there on the uh, uh, the taxiway when. It showed up for about a 24-hour appearance there, and uh, very clean-looking design. Of course, you know I've I've never seen Cirrus put out anything that ever looked like a work in progress. Yeah, mm. they've always looked like finished products. The only exception being uh, the the access to the cabin and the inside of it being you know finished like a test item. But it looks like a very uh, an interesting airplane and. Uh, the uh, the price that they they uh, that Alan quoted here, I think it was a million and a quarter, uh-huh. should make it very competitive. Uh, uh, the the physical space inside of the cockpit is pretty impressive. The the shape yeah, is. is interesting. How many seats does it have? Seven. Seven. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. Hmm. Because of the way they mounted the engine and uh, finished off the tail. Uh, they got a lot of space in that in that teardrop shaped fuselage. Uh, that's what it reminds me of mm-hmm. a teardrop with a nose cone. And yeah. uh, you know, it's, it doesn't it's, look that big from the videos. It's uh, I'm surprised. No, it looks cool. a lot bigger when you get up close to it. Uh, yeah. it, it is yeah. not. It, it is not a, uh, a a baby jet in the sense that it's you know looks. That it's small or fragile at all. But what's uh, interesting is they did some very deliberate things. They uh, they kept the wingspan to thirty eight and a half feet so that it will fit in a forty foot hangar. Well, and it's interesting because they they even have uh, a downloadable drawing. Yes. Uh, yeah. That basically will will the will the vision jet fit in your hangar? And here's a. Um, a two-dimension uh, drawing of a um, SR-22 overlaid with the uh, vision jet in a standard 40-foot wide T-hanger, and it does all fit. You're not going to have a whole lot of room for the RV, um, uh, whether it's the, the highway, the surface variety, or the, um, the airborne <laughs> yeah, variety. Really? But uh, um, so, how it, many it people do you think of like? How many people have put a little chalk outline on the on the floor of their, uh, uh-huh. of their hangar? Uh-huh. Uh, saying, there it it's is. It's funny that you mentioned that yeah. because at NBAA, uh, years not ago. last year but the year before, uh, they had a uh, uh, an outline on the floor mm-hmm. of their booth that showed the shape of the uh, of the uh, then called V jet uh-huh. uh, to show how it compared to uh, to other aircraft, and yeah. it was. Uh, 
them, the, them serious. The idea of it being able to fit in the same hangar space as a twenty-two has been part of their design philosophy from the start because they look at this as a step-up airplane from the twenty-two. Absolutely. It, what's interesting, though, is when you looked at the specs that they put out yesterday, and yesterday was the first time they put any performance specs out, and that included their range. And that included endurance, and that included um, weights. And mm. one thing that you need to understand is if you're going to put all, all those people in there, you're not going to put all the fuel on. If right. you put all the fuel on, with full fuel, you can only take 400 pounds of payload. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's two people in my world. Yeah. And, it, it, and interestingly, you know, Alan... Uh, stated that customers told them that they expected to fly predominantly by themselves or with one other person and a little bit of gear. That's And correct. they preferred to have fuel for long legs right. as opposed to less fuel and bigger full-fuel payload. And they are so, long you know, legs. They're almost 1,400-mile legs. Wow, that is a long well, leg. 1,400 miles, though, but that's at a highly reduced True airspeed, yes. Uh, down around SR twenty two cruise speed. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get the full pull uh, in speed, yeah, three hundred knots, you're down to about eleven hundred miles. Even uh, still, uh, eleven hundred miles of three hundred knots is nothing to you know. Yeah. Well, that's that's from that's, my airport here in Wichita out to see the in laws in Washington D.C. nonstop. With reserves to go over to the Outer Banks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the Eastern Shore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah it's going to be a cool a, airplane. Clearly, I'm going to need a bigger hangar. And, uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to need a bigger wallet. I'm going to need a bigger paycheck because yeah. you, we're still talking about pulling about 30 gallons an hour of uh, Jet A oh, that's to do this. Reduced. That's at the slow speed. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. You want to go faster, right. you're going well, to do 60. More as we know it. It's going to be a cool airplane. Looking yeah, forward to it. It'll be 60. But you know, if, if the tip jar gets full enough, that could be the UCAP business airplane. That's right. We'll, just, we'll, we'll <laughs> have right. to put another link. The latest in a long line of, of uh, you know, we're never going to get any sort of uh, bailout plan from Congress because hey. of all the, the oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Never, never no, 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 no. Never say never. Never say never. And never. with the L3 Smart Deck, I'll fly it. Okay. All right. Just want to <laughs> All right. Now, someone, someone asked me if, if, you know, I believe that we were really going to be bailing out the uh, auto companies and, and, you know, what what was going on there. And I just looked at him and said, you know, they got better lobbyists. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. A couple of episodes ago, uh, I, I was mentioning a, a piece that I'd read from the Frank Kingston Smith book, uh, Weekend Pilot, uh, where he described his first visit to Wings Field uh, near Philadelphia and there being a, a basically a country club uh, right there on the airport where people went and hung out. That prompted a listener to call our attention to the fact that there was a uh, an article in the in the Washington Post uh, I'm not sure when, but there was an article in the Washington Post all about the airport swimming pool, which is a uh, a swimming pool located at the airport in – where is it here? Um, it's in Washington State. It is uh, – what's the name of the airport here? It's here someplace here. Vidal Field, I believe is what it's called. All right. Um, 
Let's see if I can read a little bit here. Uh, Washington Post article about the airport swimming pool that overlooked Washington's first airport. According to the Post, the airport's swimming pool opened in July 1931. Among its investors were aviator Amelia Earhart and well-born former Army pilot named Eugene Vidal, uh, who directed the Commerce Department, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it says the pool had accommodations for 3,000 people and 20,000 square foot white sand beach. Big deal, all right? And apparently it's, I don't know, is it still there? Um, so that's story one. That prompted another listener uh, so uh, named uh, who goes by the name Fordan uh, in the forums to say, uh, uh, says, he says, what? He says, not every airport has a pool. And he called our attention to the Flying W Airport, uh, identifier November 1-4, which apparently is in southern New, New Jersey, which not only has a pool in the airport, there. but has a pool that is shaped like an airplane. Ew, so man. there you go. He, he sent us a link to, uh, to a, a, a view in Google Maps where you can actually see this, this pool. They've got a really good restaurant there, too. <laughs> if it's the same airport I'm thinking of, they've got a really good restaurant there. I've been there before, flew in with a buddy of mine once. And, uh, yeah, that looks like the same airport. So apparently my dream of having country clubs at the airports is not so far-fetched, and we just need to kind of look around a little bit more. So maybe we need to start a section. You know, the airport restaurant section in our wiki is doing really, really great. Maybe we need to start an airport pool section in the wiki. And uh, we got two entries already, so that's good. That's right. I want to know more about airports that have a strong social component, all right? I want to know more yeah. about yeah. because. You know, I thought this was a dead thing. I thought this was like a thing from the past and that airports were all, you know, either... Oh, no, 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 no. I want to know more about airports that have this sort of great social component. So, listeners, you know, educate me. I want to know more about this. Uh, I'll start you out with one right now. Okay, uh, go Lloyd's, ahead. Lloyd Stearman Field, one kilo one. Uh, okay, and what's Benton, it like? Benton, Kansas. Uh Privately owned, public access. Uh, I got my instrument rating there many years ago when it was just a 2,500-foot country strip with a few houses built down both sides. Uh, the owners in those days uh, sold it to some people with an aggressive business plan. It's got a uh, new, uh, well, in the last five years, it's gotten a new uh, ops building, new flight school, new hangars parallel taxiway. Uh, they've bought property to the south of the old runway, and they're in the process of extending it. I believe it's going to be 4,000 or 4,200 feet <clears throat> with more room for more houses on either side. Uh, very active uh, pilot community there. They have a, a fly-in breakfast uh, second Saturday of the month. Uh, a lot of nice folks uh, that we know. Uh, Pia Bergfist flies for Cessna. Mm -hmm. She flies the... Uh, the old Columbia airframes, the 300 and the 400 Cessna, as they call them, uh, as a demo pilot. She keeps her Cessna 170 there. A uh, doctor friend of mine, Joe Beck, he keeps his Stearman and his Bonanza there. Uh, really great place to hang out, nice people. Uh, and it, For as long as we've known about it, and we've been here about 17 years, uh, it's always been an airport where you could go out any almost any time of the day, any time of day, any time of year, and find people hanging out just because. Cool. Uh, I, 
I do wish I am sorry that they tore down the original op shack was which was basically a little one bedroom house with a big living room uh with uh, a f- wooden front porch and an overhang and a couple of soda machines and some rocking chairs and that's what we that's where we hung out and raided the landings uh, yeah but yeah th- there's one right there uh dead cow international uh 71 Kilo, Westport, uh, as, as is formerly known. Uh, it's got a fairly active social component, uh, which is one of the reasons why the uh, Jayhawk wing of the Commemorative Air Force put down roots there and raised money to build a hangar where they keep their PT-23 and their UC-78 Bobcat. So, Cool. Well, we should hear more about these, but... Uh that's great. I, I, I'm as everyone knows. I'm totally in favor of that thing. That idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Plug us with some more guys. I, I know there are others out there because I hear about them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let's see now. This uh, I don't know. It is, I'm not sure if there's much to this story, but it is worth mentioning. Um, I, I think it's kind of credit where credit is due is sort of the theme here, and that is that uh, new new runways at uh, a couple of notable airports. Uh, Jeb, you you post you put the story yeah. on the list originally. What, what's the yeah, what's the uh, angle? Your perspective. Well, the the news here is <clears throat> that uh, finally there is some new pavement at uh, some some of the major airports around the country. These uh, include Washington, Dulles, uh, Chicago, O'Hare, and uh, uh, somewhat uh, um, a lesser and important SeaTac, Seattle Tacoma International. Um, now. Uh, Obviously, slapping down a new runway um, at any airport around the country, especially a major commercial airport, uh, takes years of planning and, and millions and millions of dollars. Um, the environmental impacts alone are hideously expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, the environmental impact, whether it's from the aircraft noise, whether it's from displaced habitat, whether um, uh, the construction impact, whatever. Uh, and you're talking about a piece of pavement, um, just in round numbers, let's say, you know, 200 feet wide, um, two miles long, and, you know, X number of, of inches slash feet thick. Uh, so it's it's a substantial project. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, definitely cost a few bucks. Um, but uh, on, on November 20, uh, when the uh, – actually, it had more to do with the airspace charting cycle than whether or not the uh, runways were actually uh, uh, ready for operation. Um, all three of these runways did go into operation, and, you know, of course, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, the uh, – you know, let's pull up the, the Dulles fact sheet, uh, Dulles runway fact sheet here. This is um, uh, runway one left, one nine right. And uh, I presume that uh, they've renamed the yeah they did rename the other runway one center and nine uh, uh, in nineteen center. Uh, they they closed that runway, uh, and they're going to uh, uh, do reconstruction on it over the summer of two thousand nine. Uh, that project alone will be eighty three million dollars. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, the uh, the new runway is I was a little bit off on my numbers here. The new runway is 9,400 feet long, 150 feet wide, and 17 inches thick. That's that's the runway pavement alone. That has nothing to do with what's underneath it, um, taxiway access, um, uh, yada yada yada. Total cost of the Dulles runway is estimated at uh, hold on to your uh, hundred low lead, 356 million. Hour. Really, but well, now let, the, let me ask you the this: three so, runways, so, yeah. 
the three runways that she talked about that are talked about in this release cumulatively mm-hmm. took up six hundred and forty three million in federal AIP money. That's right. airport improvement programs money. And ladies and gentlemen, fellow flyers, that's money predominantly that came from our airline excise taxes uh-huh. and our fuel excise taxes. Exactly. Now let me. So here's my question. So I mean, any airport improvements are always a good thing, I guess. All right, but these are improvements that basically serve airline airports. Yes. Yeah. How does this? Is this a good thing for GA? Is this a bad thing for GA? You know, it's, I mean, it's a wash uh, for GA. SeaTac, um, I don't know that much about, um, but um, at, at Dulles, you know, used to be practice approach capital of the world. I, I've flown out of there a lot. Um, Skyhawking or, or in Cherokee or, or whatever. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd certainly go in there again, and I've gone in there recently, but uh, it's a, just a hideously busy place now. And uh, um, it, the, the punchline is they don't, the, the, most of the GA at Dulles is, is business aircraft. They don't have that much piston GA there anymore. Uh, and it, you just want, you don't want to go there if you don't have to. But here's the bottom line, and this is according to the Transportation Department statement. Uh, the opening of these three runways, Dulles, O'Hare, and, and SeaTac, uh, provide capacity for an additional 330,000 operations a year. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about you know, to death at times, what the FAA has been trying to do and efforts underway to increase airspace capacity and have frequently lamented that increasing airspace capacity doesn't have a lot of impact on reducing delays and congestion unless there's pavement (laughs) to put all those extra aircraft onto. Amen, brother. here's an example of them taking care of some of that with 330,000 additional operations a year. That's good for the rest of us because that means that we're not having to be vectored around traffic that's being held somewhere because they can't get into the runway because the airport's well, so I, I would I would agree with that on one level and, and and you know maybe on another level one kind of wonder if we shouldn't be uh, um wondering what we're hoping for here. Looking at Dulles alone <laughs> um you know and I used to be based at Manassas and, and spent a lot of time in that area. Um, it's it's not at all uncommon to look up at sitting on the ramp at Manassas and look up and see a seven forty seven going overhead at three thousand feet, yeah, uh, <clears throat> or or lower uh, sometimes, um, on final for for uh, north operation into Dulles. Um, this a new runway is going to add potentially to the traffic. Dulles is not a slot-controlled airport. I don't think O'Hare is anymore either. SeaTac no. never was. Um, it, it, it will certainly lighten the load of um, uh, in the airspace system for scheduled operations. Uh, will it end the, um, the, the crunch, if you will, of, of scheduled operations at times, where, whether it be for weather or uh, um, uh, other reasons? Probably not. Uh, in that you still have, um, you know, and I don't know what they're going to do, what changes they're going to make to the airspace, um, but you still have issues with uh, making sure everybody gets in line and stays in line and, and gets to the runway. Furthermore, this doesn't do a thing for airports like JFK 
no. or Charlotte. Well, except or Atlanta. Atlanta except Atlanta when, just did recently open another runway itself. But yeah. DFW, LAX, you know, there's 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 a lot of different choke points in this system. It, on days when saturation at Dulles uh, is backing up to JFK or DFW, uh, you know, the, the extra space can be helpful, particularly once they reopen the center runway after the reconstruction. Uh, Dulles, uh, I'm sorry, Dallas, Dallas-Fort Worth, just opened a new beltway taxiway. Mm. Which is one of those ideas where you kind of slap yourself in the head and say, wow, why did it take them so long to think of that? Huh. Uh, they are building taxiways at uh, Dallas-Fort Worth International that actually go around the perimeter of the field so that aircraft can taxi to the appropriate runway without crossing other active runways or having to wait for passing traffic. That's cool which should speed things up there. Now, currently, it's only around one end of the field. They have yet to complete it all the way around. But we're talking about another hundreds of millions of dollars here. Uh, that my, my personal take, if it helps smooth the flow of the big iron out yeah. of our way, then there's an indirect impact that benefits us. Yeah. Uh, the, the flip side, my only point is the flip side of that is, uh, anything that can increase capacity into these airports um, can be detrimental. Well, and I'm not going to worry about that too much in this economic <clears throat> environment because right now capacity is going in the opposite direction sure. of us. Sure. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting stuff. Uh, anything that helps, anything that improves airports, I guess, is a good thing. But uh, I want more little airports, too. That's what I want. Uh, ExxonMobil has come out saying that, <laughs> that they don't want their diesel fuel, I'm correction, sorry, they don't want their Jet A fuel used to fuel diesel-powered aircraft. And um, that's now, because what why? Do you think about this? Because apparently, I don't know, I'm no engineer, but apparently oh, the fuel's going to freeze up at altitude. This is, and it's gonna this, is, this is as bogus as anything we've seen in a long, it's as bogus as these companies not wanting aircraft to use auto gas with their brand or pump from their contract holders because, quote, unquote, they didn't produce the gas to be burned in airplanes. Yeah. yeah. And it's been really? proven okay, by, so- by decades of use that 100, uh, you know, 87 uh, octane uh, car gas works just fine in the low compression engines. Uh, and okay, the so, diesel so why would here, it- yeah, I, I'm trying to get to that. Okay, I, I I don't think that they want to be selling diesel to a bunch of propeller drivers, right? Because they worry that we're <clears> not <throat> up to the standards of their turbine drivers that they normally sell to, because right. the technical oh, issues poo. that they claim are a problem here have been completely refuted by the engine manufacturers and the airframe manufacturers that have certified airplanes and, and use diesel engines. The claims that they make on the issues, these technical issues, have been covered by the certification process. So why all of a sudden is it coming up? Well, all of a sudden we've got a different class of pilots pumping jet fuel into their airplanes, and they're not the turbine burner, the spin, squeeze, push, blow drivers with the white collars and the shoulder epaulets that are flying these airplanes. Right. I but, honestly but, feel that's what's going on here. So it's a liability concern. 
Okay. Paranoia, uh, not concern. Liability, paranoia. What do you guys think, Amy? Uh, I think something odd is going on here. I, I think uh, the lawyers are talking. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it seems to me like they're wary of the engine itself, which has had its problems, and they don't want to be in line for the lawsuit. Yeah. Right, because they'll sell it to you if you sign a waiver. And if somebody yeah. at a fuel station pushes a waiver in front of my face that says, before I can pump you, I'm taking the gas can and going down the road to Joe's truck stop to get enough diesel to go to the next airport where I don't have to freaking buy ExxonMobil. I haven't liked them since I went to Valdez, Alaska anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got a really uh, bad taste in my mouth from the first name and that combination name by spending a week watching an oil spill clean up in Valdez, Alaska, and Prince William Sound. And it wasn't pretty, and they weren't honest. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's okay, it's okay for me to put Jet A in my diesel. <laughs> like I said, there's other vendors out there that sell it. Who None of them are making any noises. The uh, diesel manufacturers and the air freight manufacturers using diesels have all pointed out that the FAA certification that they went through covered the very issues years ago. So suddenly it's an issue now for one company. Okay. So I think they're just I think they're just corporate cowards. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> David, not that you have a, not that you feel yeah, strongly about any of okay. this. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Uh, a couple episodes ago, Craig Barnett was uh, with us in the hangar, and uh, and he was telling us about his frustration at having to uh, do some serious work to the cylinders on his aircraft, um, in spite of the fact that some serious work had been done on them just a few years back, um, and he was just bemoaning the expense and what he perceived as being the unfairness of this and so forth and so on. Amy, you had the same thing, right? What, what, well, what was your deal? It, it, there's nothing, nothing more frustrating than having to take apart a perfectly good engine because there's an airworthiness directive out there and your cylinders come under that directive. And I can certainly relate to what Craig was talking about. But Which what airplane... Was, does this effect for you? Believe it or not, the RV-10, which has all of 75 hours on it. Mm-hmm. And oddly well, where'd enough... where'd you get the engine from? The engine came from um, JB Engines and Sebring. That's not the problem. The problem is that five out of six cylinders do not come under this AD. So when he built that engine, this cylinder must have come off a different shelf. Hmm. It was a different batch. And so I had the number four cylinder, which on a Lycoming happens to be in the center, mm-hmm. yeah. which means that you have to work a little harder to get to it, um, mm-hmm. had, to, had to come off and be replaced. Now, I was much luckier than Craig because there's very little time on the engine, very little time on the cylinder, and the way the warranty worked out, it's a straight warranty exchange. Uh, That all being said, I still had to pay for the cylinder. Now I'm waiting patiently to see that money refunded back onto my credit card because, you know, come on, guys. I should not have to pay for a cylinder that never really got used that came under this AD for bad casting, yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Craig is uh, is in a bit of a conundrum because his cylinders were, in fact, used for some time, 
And so I don't think they're giving him quite so sweet a deal. And that's very frustrating. And I can certainly commiserate with them. My airplane was down for about three days. And it would have cost me money had I taken it back to the engine manufacturer and had it done there, even though it would have they were doing it basically for their cost. Um, I was lucky enough, again, because I'm married to my mechanic. Hint, 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 all you guys out there. Um, what a know. wrenching experience. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> it has its moments. Okay, David. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, yeah, right. so it's so, back up now. Now I'm back at full rich, though, running, you know, at 22 gallons job. an hour, breaking yeah. in a new a new uh, set of rings and piston the whole deal. Yeah, exactly. So it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah. yeah I bet. I bet. How's the rest of your fleet doing? Did you sell your airplane yet? No. Any, any, any nibbles? I did have a really good nibble. A uh, guy from Bolivia wanted to buy it, but he it got complicated. He wanted us to do all of See, the work. Just, are you yeah. sure he wasn't okay. from Nigeria? Yeah, no, no, Bolivia. Trust me. He wanted us to do all of the work for the certificate of export, and we pulled out uh, the FAA's list of what you have to do to get a certificate of export and went, whoa. <laughs> Bolivia has yeah. like the strictest things. And so we said, how about we reduce the price and we sell it to you? And, you know, and then you do the work for the certificate of export. And uh, he didn't go for it. So I yeah. wished him the best of luck. He, he reiterated again and again that the Bolivians really don't care about any of that stuff. And, and we said, yeah, but this comes from the FAA and they do. And you have to find a DAR to sign off the airplane to get this certificate. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so baffling. Uh, a friend of mine, the Leprechaun, has uh, uh, served as a conduit for shipping quite a number of airplanes out of the country over the last several years. And uh, he always marvels at the fact that we got to go through all these hoops for an airplane that we're getting rid of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if we were bringing it into the country, more of it would be understandable. Uh, yeah, uh, we're sending it out. Uh, we're sending it out. Why does it have to have anything more than a valid airworthiness certificate, a valid registration, and a valid annual? Well, yeah. Apparently, these these stipulations come from the countries themselves now whether they care about it or not that being the inspector at the port where the airplane comes in is neither here nor there i am confident that the further south you go um in this hemisphere <laughs> the easier it is to bring something in with with a simple you know lubrication of the palm but at that all being said, if the embassy or the country chooses to dictate to its embassies, you know, and consulates here in the States what it wants, and then that becomes FAA dictate, there's nothing you can do about it. Wow. You know, lubrication, except, lubrication of the palms, that means so much, so, such a different thing at my age than it would have in my teens. <laughs> I'm not sure we needed that, any of us. Oh. Moving on, moving oh. on. 
Moving on, we've got uh, two, two, count them, two uh, distressed aircraft stories uh, this this time. Uh, neither of these qualify, strictly speaking, as off-field landings of the week, but they are interesting uh, examples of bringing down an airplane that's having trouble. The first one is a, uh, a small twin. Help me, guys, because I'm Cessna. bad at this. What kind of aircraft is that? I think that's a Cessna 310. That's so a Cessna, Cessna 310 in the article, but that's a Cessna 310 in the picture. Yeah. In the yeah. picture. Well. <laughs> so, uh, oh, okay, it does say Cessna 310. All right, so uh, this is a small twin uh, that uh, apparently had problems with its nose gear, and uh, they caught it on video uh, on short final, and it's an interesting piece of video. It shows the aircraft uh, uh, coming in, and the nose wheel is actually just kind of flopping around. I mean, it's just... Oh, yeah, it's it's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. and it is, it is, it is so... Yeah, tango so, uniform. It's not funny. Yeah, but the uh, but but the pilot did a great job. He brings the aircraft in uh, pretty slow, I guess, uh, and uh, gets it down on the main gear and gets the uh, propellers stopped and keeps the nose up as, for as long as possible. And then it just finally got the propellers turned where they didn't hit the ground. I know, and it sets it right down on the nose, and uh, you know it looked like there was uh, only a, a kind of sort of reasonable amount of damage done. Uh, so congratulations to uh, this pilot. This is at Van Nuys. I have to tell you, I have to tell you that 310 pilots are actually pretty good at that because oh, yeah. that nose well, gear all- has a yeah. lot of problems and it happens, yeah, with, with oh, really? alarming there's a, frequency. There's a bell crank in that system that is kind of a weak link. Um, really? And uh-huh. uh, it's, it's hard to get to during maintenance and inspection. Uh, so it's sometimes you know, just get, kind of gets skipped. But it is subject to corrosion, and I'm, I don't know what specifically happened in this episode, but uh, um, it's likely that that's that's that was the source of this problem. Um, the the uh, thing of it is, though, the airplane's probably only worth about fifty grand, and whether or not it got fixed or will be fixed is another issue. Hey, you could probably pull fifty grand out of the engines, the props. Well, you never know. You never tip know. Tanks. I mean, um, you probably those engines you, go into other things. Yeah, they do. But um, uh, I'm sure they're not brand new engines. I'm sure they're not brand new props. That would be a shock. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, the easiest thing to do would be to go get a, a nose from another three ten somewhere and stick it in there. Yeah. Um, and and repaint it and reconfigure everything. But even then, the labor to do all that. Is not an insignificant proposition, and uh, can you uh, sing this song? Buck the rivet, buck the rivet, buck the rivet. <laughs> yes, and Dave, actually, can you? I can. <laughs> One thing, anyway, I think we've just found the title of this episode. By the way. Uh, <laughs> Here, the uh, one the second one's the one that blows me away. Well, yeah, but before we go on to the second one, I just want to co- point out one thing of note about this uh, twin uh, landing is that not this is at Van Nuys Airport, which has become is a very very cool, uh, uh, busy GA airport uh, in the Los Angeles area, um, and uh, it was made even more uh, sort of well known recently by the documentary One Six Right. This landing actually took place on One Six Right, right. and sort of the final shot, the the aircraft comes to a stop right sitting on the One Six R. Uh, numbers there at the and, uh, uh, so, uh, Hollywood. Da, 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 yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but Dave's right. The second one is pretty interesting. Now, this is a uh, uh, this is from a story in because uh, I'm going to name them because we're going to we're going to give them a hard time here. The Great Falls Tribune dot com website. Great uh, Falls, Montana. It makes Great me Falls, very Montana. nauseous. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and but it's a uh, Columbus, which is is it Columbus, Montana? Uh, anyways, a pilot from South Dakota was forced to land in a swampy area east of Columbus Airport Friday after the engine in his small plane failed. The pilot, whose name wasn't released, was six or seven miles southwest of Columbus and was on his way to Livingston when the engine in his mid 1970s Piper Lance failed. Airport manager Alan Rickman said, "No injuries reported." Here's the magical part of the whole story. Yeah, man. Yeah. Here's the paragraph. The pilot was able to glide back to the airport, but he aborted his first landing attempt because a display indicated a problem with his landing gear. Rickman said the man aborted the landing and circled back for a second attempt, but he didn't make it to the runway. All right. Probably so, didn't I, I, have a complete failure. <laughs> it's, the infamous, it's the infamous no-engine go-around. All right. You know, cool. We're going to have to talk to our glider friends about this, you know, and uh, – Journalism hey, made you know, it great. It, it is so much easier to get rid of altitude than it is to get it back. If you've got, yeah. if you know, got the guy energy, came in, he yeah. was high, and you know. the wheels didn't give him three green like he was expecting, and he used the excess altitude that he had left to try to circle around and do it one more time. Okay, look, Dave. Look, Dave, look, that is a good story, armchair story. But can I tell you about the student I sent out on a solo and the 152 sucked a valve? Okay. Okay, what happened? Yeah. The 152 sucked a valve, and she had a choice. She could try for the airport on the top of the mountain, which she was only about 1,000 feet above, or she could go for the airport in the valley below, which was... 4,500 feet or whatever below her, okay? And she did the right thing. She went for the Valley Airport. Great. Bought herself a whole bunch of time. Brought it down, probably developing 1,600 RPM, something like that. She never pulled the power off. And Mm. so upon making her final approach, and this is described to me by the witness on the ground, all right? This is after I, you know, have been sitting, you know, my boss tells me so-and-so, you know, had an engine failure on the cross-country. You're going, no, 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 that's just mean. You don't do that to the flight instructor when she sends someone (laughs) off on their first solo. And he goes, no, really, actually, she did. You need to go get her. You're like, ah! Okay? I mean, this really happened to me. These things happen. And so she did. She made a U-turn at the end of the runway. It all finally kind of clicked, and she pulled the throttle and she landed. And so I suspect that contrary to Dave's description of what happened, this guy actually had a partial power failure for whatever reason. And the reason he didn't make it back is because... Again, it was a partial power failure, and he didn't right. have enough. He didn't have enough uh, power with his landing gear down to power out of it to get himself back to the airport, and so he ended up in the swamp. After that's as that. that's as good that's as good a that's as good an explanation as mine. Yeah. Uh, Ultimately, there's a third explanation though uh, here. And there you go. That is, this was actually Bob Hoover. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Bob Hoover, but Bob Hoover would not have landed in the swamp. No, <laughs> that's the thing. If, Bob, if, it, if, if it was if Hoover, Bob he'd was put it down flying. on the numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If Bob on was one still wheel. flying, I'd, I'd say you got a real shot on that. Uh, it could be one of his students. Yeah. yeah. When, you know, when I had my little episode a couple of years back, um, um, I <laughs> need, needed to get my little took us on a, on a runway as quickly as I could. Uh, I had more. Uh, way more 
energy altitude than I needed. Yeah. Uh, I had to do two 360s to get down yeah. um, uh, from a key point and uh, uh, was still uh, kind of fast on the approach. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd found a, a power setting that the engine was going to run relatively smoothly, and I wasn't going to mess with it anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. And it was putting wow. out, it was doing, I don't know, maybe 16, 1800 RPM. Um, and um, that was, you know, plenty of thrust uh, to, you know, wasn't going to keep us airborne all day. Uh, but we had more than enough energy to get to the airport. And it was, then it became a, 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 a matter of just managing what you had. And, uh, you know, used up the first third of the runway and, and uh, touched down and rolled out on the second third of the runway and had, you know, the last third of the runway remaining. So it all, it all worked out. But uh, had, it was, it was, it was more a, luck than skill. So. Had an engine failure in a uh, uh, two-place experimental some years ago uh, caused by an uh, unfortunate improper mixture of two cycle oil in the uh, in the fuel or or not mixed well it, it was mixed but it was insufficient it had been mixed uh, for a different engine and yeah. nobody thought to check and, and inquire whether the ratio was proper for the engine we were about to put it into and the engine ran through takeoff and until I was about 3,000 feet off the ground and about two and a half miles away from the uh, end of the runway. And because of how nicely this little airplane glided engine off, uh, I made it back to the runway with about 2,000 feet left Mm -hmm. and proceeded to do a full 360 and then a 180 to bring it down and get it on the runway. And even then, I was long. I, I, I wound up slipping it a little bit to keep from running out of runway because I was pretty damn sure that I didn't have one more 360 left. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and it was one of those instances where it's like, uh, oh, let's see, that didn't that didn't get me down enough. What 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 else can I left? And me hanging my tennis shoes over the end just didn't provide mm-hmm. enough drag to do it. So, <laughs> so anyways, well, we, we, you know, we kind of speculate on these and make a little bit of fun of them. But uh, in the final analysis, congratulate, congratulations to both these pilots. for really happy that those yeah. were good landings in the classic sense. Everybody walked away. Exactly. Exactly. Good job. Good job. Hey, so uh, we got an email from a listener, uh, Mitch from uh, KBED, which I believe is Bedford. That's in my my uh, work. My, you have uh, a listener? Yeah, up here in my uh, uh, neck of the woods. Um, Man, that's just scary. He writes about um, about when he, he grew up in England. He said, and when he was a youngster, in the uh, uh, seven years old or so, um, he picked up a series of books called what he calls the Biggles books, which I'd never heard of before. Apparently, um, children's books that had a, an aviation theme of some sort. And he says he found them inspiring as a child and got him uh, gave him his first uh, interest in aviation. Um, and uh, so they're kind of interesting kind of books. Um, he, he goes on to say that he now has some kids of his own, um, and he's 
trying to get them interested in some way in flying. He's wondering, you know, what what kinds of things are might be available now. He's, he writes, uh, so here's my question: What books are there out there today that would excite the passion of a youngster? I don't want to push my kids to fly if they're not into it, but I'd love to give them the opportunity I had to find a passion that has endured me for almost 40 years. What you know, and I'm not sure. Maybe we don't have an answer to this, but uh, you know, other than young eagles flights and those kinds of things, are there activities and things that we might direct our kids at? Kids you at have that would any uh, idea how many children's books there are that use aviation and flight? Um, I have Kermit Weeks. Uh, all life's a school. He's got a, a series of motivational books out for youngsters that are illustrated by the Disney's uh, Firefly Project, which is a bunch of Disney illustrators. I've got one on my desk right now that says, You can't do that, Amelia. And uh, a couple others. Uh, let's see. Roberta's Flying Courage in the Mystery of Seal Islands the um, by Barkwell, the Lurtus Field Mysteries that were written in the 1930s, and they're in the style of Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. Um, yeah. I mean, it it just, you wouldn't believe what's out there. Absolutely That's wouldn't awesome. believe what's out there for children. Um, go to Amazon.com and, and, and put flying in there, and you'll hear about flying mice and flying toads and Ruth Law thrills the nation. And, you know, the, it, there's great stuff, absolutely great stuff, if you want that for your kid. Um, that sounds but great. you that have sounds great. to sounds like go out of your of way, and you need to. Oh, it should be a section of the wiki. Yeah, um, should be. We used to even have Steve Canyon comics in the funny papers. And oh. He was an Air Force pilot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there are great comics out there, classic comics. In fact, I had a guy write a story um, about women and flying in the classic comics. And how there were all these 1930s uh, heroines who were pilots. Yeah. And and how cool that was. And, you know, the question of of where where was women's status, you know, in those in those years. And uh, it was really quite interesting. So so the answer is, yeah. It's all out there. Um, in fact, let's see. I've got Jake and the Tiger Flight as uh, a new book. I'm, I'm just listing the new ones that come into my office in the last six months. Uh. Well, we'd appreciate any listeners and all listeners who got some other answers for Mitch uh, and for the rest of us. I've got grandkids that I try to keep interested in aviation every year at Christmas by making at least one each of their Christmas presents something aviation-oriented. Uh, and uh, I mean, Jiminy, their mother flew on my lap in a Quicksilver when she was about seven. And she's so interested in aviation that she knows exactly what she wants to do with it, which is to buy a ticket. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but at the same time, both the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts have aviation badges. That's right. And uh, the the uh, co-ed arm of the Boy Scouts, the Explorers, has a whole aviation unit. Well, and the Civil mm-hmm. Air Patrol, Civil has, Air Patrol uh, has cadets. Cadets. Yep. yep. And then you get to the Build a Plane 
orgs and thank stuff like that. Thank you for that segue. Thank you. Thank you. Not a problem. Yeah. Talk about Build-A-Plane. Talk about Build-A-Plane, David. Well, Build-A-Plane is a project kind of spark-plugged by an old friend of mine, Lynn Freeman. Uh, what Build-A-Plane does is take wrecked airplanes or old antiques in need of reconstruction or kits that haven't been completed and the kit owner has written it off and says, I'm not doing this. Build-A-Plane matches up those projects, if you will, with youth groups, high school groups, uh, students, and gets them engaged in rebuilding the airplane and getting the airplane airworthy and then engaged in flying it. And I remember photographing a couple of, uh, well, actually it was, I think, about four youngsters who had flown an old uh, uh, antique airplane from California, I believe it was, to Oshkosh that they had rebuilt as part of a a high school project, a -a Build-A-Plane project. Uh, Right now, I put this as a shout-out, Build-A-Plane, that is buildaplane.org, all run together, no hyphens, no spaces, buildaplane.org. Website, they're looking for projects, but they're also running an auction on eBay Mm -hmm. that will let you bid on some fairly interesting uh, items with the uh, money going to uh, Build-A-Plane projects. And uh, we'll have a link for that on the website. But some of the things in the eBay store that are up for auction, and I'm just going to talk about the ones where there's enough time left that you folks will hear it. Uh, But there's an airline career interview manual. Uh, you buy that, the money goes to build a plane. There's some flight bags, some Ray-Ban sunglasses, uh, a Patty Wagstaff flight suit. That looked pretty uh, cool. There's even there's even a Bonanza A35. And for those of you unfamiliar, oh, wow. A35 is the original year is the second year Bonanza. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bonanza started delivering in 1947, 1948, became A model, 49, the B model. I'm personally familiar from flying to Oshkosh and back a B-35 that's right now waiting on a prop uh, in the hands of my buddy the Leprechaun. But right now the bid on that A-35 Bonanza is $39,750, which is not a bad price for an airworthy airplane. So check out Build-A-Plane. Uh, not only are they looking for projects, but they're looking for groups of kids to match up with projects. So here's another segue into getting uh, youngsters that you might know interested and engaged in aviation. Absolutely. Great. So there are plenty There are plenty of things that we can uh, direct our kids to to see if they have an interest in aviation. And uh, that sounds great. And I think it definitely merits some sort of listing yeah. in our, yeah. our website. We'll have, to, we'll have to put something together like that. Moving on, uh, so uh, I don't know if it was last I week just or... I love it when you say that. No, you do. That's why I do it. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. Recently, uh, we were kind of all just brainstorming about what uh, some of the online uh, aviation tools and systems we use, weather briefing and flight planning and so forth. Um, two things I wanted to follow up on here. 
The first was, Jeb, you were trying to lead me uh, to remember something, and I was drawing a blank um, when uh, you were actually Yes, talking. yes. And uh, you, you, you were saying, uh, oh, that site, that system that your friend was involved with, something like flightplan.com, and I just drew a blank, but afterwards I suddenly realized, oh, you were talking about nflight.com, yeah, which, yes, is, uh, is a, a, a system, a site that was developed by a dear friend of mine, uh, since passed away, uh, sad to say, but has been carried on by his family and other friends, and it's a, a going business. Um, nflight.com is a, is an online uh, weather briefing, flight planning uh, uh, system. That uh, nflight's actually the company. Uh, my friend was one of the folks who developed a lot of the software that is used on uh, duots.com and uh, AOPA's. Uh, some of AOPA's uh, flight planning systems. Um, he did a lot of really genius work in the area of flight planning and weather briefing. Um, um, lang- plain language weather translation things like that um, and then he also took it and and uh, founded nflight.com um, which uses a lot of the same tools so it's another another choice that you might take a look at um, for uh, your weather briefing and flight planning nflight enflight.com the other thing uh, we got uh, and this is an embarrassing omission um, given how much we all love EAA our listener uh, pilot Brad in the forums uh, reminded us that EAA is involved with a system called uh, um, Aeroplanner. Uh, that is another online tool that uh, you might take advantage of. I'm, I confess I'm not real familiar with Aeroplanner. Are you guys familiar with it? Yeah, I, I've I, used it. Tell us about it, I, Amy. It, it, they 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 pioneered something called chart chunks which is you could actually download the real chart in chunks and PDFs, and then you'd string them together on the floor afterwards if you wanted to. Um, but you you could have your line across the chart, uh, so to speak, and this was a long time ago. It looks like uh, they've, they've stepped up. They were one of the first to have the uh, digital uh, TFRs in, superimposed right on the chart, which was a really easy way to see exactly where the TFRs are. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, well, so that's an early slick too. You can even export this to uh the uh the, the data from Aeroplanner to a GPS uh or use it with a third party software application uh to you know put your flight plan on your GPS. Uh yeah. excellent. Yeah. And other mobile we- devices, PDAs, uh electronic flight bags, fairly slick. Yeah. So uh, Jeb and Dave and I already spent some time just sort of uh, uh, riffing on some of the online systems we use. Uh, but Amy, can maybe you can fill us in. What what sort of systems do you use on the web when you're doing flight planning and, and weather briefing and whatnot? I've actually taken a liking to AOPA's new beta, which works yeah. on a Mac. Um, we talked about it, it's but tell us your, ex- yeah. your perspective on it. My perspective is I think it's fairly elegant. I really do, especially compared to what I used to have to do, which is open parallels and basically put a window of windows in there to get to flight planning. Um, anywhere Mac- she's talking Macintosh, guys. Don't worry about it. You, yeah, many people understand what she's talking about. <laughs> 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 yeah, but really clear are those of us who don't have to understand that. My, really, my Macintosh oh, has yeah. digested Windows and can spit it out anytime it needs to so that I can <laughs> use it. Let's just leave it at that, okay? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, uh, you know, so, while, while, we're, while we're talking about this, you know, flight planning and so forth and weather briefings and so forth, I just got the latest edition of the uh, – uh, the safety publication callback. 
Ah, yes. Wonderful publication. Okay, which is uh, the from the Aviation Safety Reporting System, operated by our friends at the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, interestingly enough. And the very first piece in this week's edition, and I'm going to send Jack a link to this, so it's on the site. But it was a Piper Cherokee pilot who's just going to go out and do some pattern work and neglected to check weather. And after he got up, he found himself in weather that required the, uh, what's the word I want here? Uh, salvation of an air traffic controller <laughs> to get him out of the Grimpen mire and back on the ground without reducing himself to a statistic. So, you know, I've, I've done this. I've headed out to the airport with the intention of just doing some pattern work and looked at the weather along the way, that is the out-the-window weather, and realized that I hadn't called. Yeah. And maybe I really should. So I pull up the cell phone and I call WX Brief, and I find out that this is really a good time to divert to the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you want to check this stuff. I don't care if you're just going to go out and do little circuits and bumps. Uh, you could find yourself not being able to find the airport if you're not real careful. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, some uh, some more online uh, online aviation tools. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, you could just spend, we could do a whole episode talking about online aviation oh, tools. Oh, absolutely. Maybe we'll day, I, I like ADDS myself as a simple check-it-in-a-heartbeat, in yep. you know? Another one we talked about, yeah, and uh, a lot of information there, a lot of information. So, anyways. Hey, uh, so, Amy, just before we uh, got together to uh, talk this evening, you called uh, our attention to this really interesting flight uh, that is a, a, apparently a fundraiser for uh, raising uh, for ALS research. That's uh, exactly tell us about this right. flight, about it's, this adventure. This is, it's it's Carol Ann Garrett, who has flown around the world in her Mooney in the past um, and did it the last time also uh, to raise money for ALS. This is called ALS World Flight Dash for the Cure, and that what's really interesting about this flight is it shows you and I, and I, what I like is and I think correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but you can actually bid for one of these um, on your Build a Plane uh, auction website. Uh, ALS is also doing the auction uh, eBay auction uh, for raising funds as well, but uh, they're using a Spot Messenger. Now, do you, you guys yes. familiar with the Spot Messenger? I'm not. Go ahead, Aha, tell me about it. The Spot Messenger is a, is a GPS satellite system that basically sends out an I'm okay signal. And okay. so that you can hit hit the button when you start the flight, leave it alone, definitely keep it 18 inches away from the rest of your GPS antennas, and during the flight, depending on how you have it programmed, it will send out the occasional I'm okay to the people on your list. Not only will it do that, but it interfaces with Google Maps, so it sends them a link, and they can click on it. And if you click on the link I sent now, you can see that Carol Ann Garrett and Carol Foy are currently uh, on their way out of Hawaii, on their way to Guam. 
And you could. They're in serious automatic rough territory, is where they They're are. They're in serious <laughs> automatic rough territory. Not only that, but if you'll take a, a bigger look at where they've been, you'll see that their first leg of their flight was nonstop in a Mooney from Orlando to Brownfield in San Diego. Wow. Where yeah. they refueled, got a bite to eat, and continued to Hawaii. I, yeah. In interestingly enough, also nonstop. Yeah, interestingly <laughs> enough, also nonstop. What a coincidence! One would hope. Yeah. So they and, and they, they obviously stopped in Hawaii. Hawaii. And- they stopped in Hawaii for it looks like uh, ten hours. They are in fact trying to break a world record for going around the world um, from east to west, and uh, they intend Man, to man. do it in less than seven days. So uh, are you? I'm not this kidding. is terrific. Do you have any any more direct knowledge about what they're up to here? I, I've I've been under the impression that that you get into some real bureaucratic messes. I mean, aside from the you know the oh, the yeah. avi- aviation feat of flying this kind of a flight, um, getting permission to fly through some of those yeah. folks yeah. places in 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 Asia, I guess. Um, but Carol Ann has done this before. The last time okay, she so, did it, again, to raise money for ALS. Her mother died yep. of ALS. Uh, Carol Foy's has a cousin, I believe, who has also passed away from ALS. Um, they have basically done, they, they financed this themselves. None of the money that they're raising will pay for the flight. Um, the flight is all done with their own finances. Uh, they set it up ahead of time. They use handlers from Jeppesen and companies such as that um, to stage everything. And quite frankly, they got a lot of gas on this airplane. And they're not stopping very often. They're flying with enough gas, basically. They're almost flying with the empty weight of the airplane and fuel. They can almost go 24 hours nonstop, guys. What what Mooney is this? God, he asked the tough questions. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure which Mooney Carol Ann has, honestly. Um, but I am confident. Uh, it says our story here. I'm going to look. Carol Ann built her first plane in 2006. She owns and flies three different aircraft. She flies over 400 hours a year, but it does not talk about... Uh, her airplane. Click here. Uh, let's see. M20J. Thank you. There you okay. go. Okay. Thank you for your I, 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 No, Of course, the next question is, what did she do to it to get all that fuel on it? But, well, the back seat is a fuel tank. You know what happened to yeah, it. Well, you know, that or, or uh, they've you know strapped something else on. You know, there's all kinds of tricks. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, that's what I the, would that's imagine what, she what did. they've done is 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 uh, plumb in some very large ferry tanks yeah. in place of the back seat. Uh, living and flying here in the Wichita area, it's not unusual for me to see an airplane, uh, Newton or Dead Cow or Augusta or Jabara, that's uh, just about to be delivered to some place such as Europe or Australia, or New Zealand, uh, or Guam, mm-hmm. where part of the back seat and all of the right seat passenger area is taken up with big, shiny, aluminum fuel tank. 
I mean, such big tanks that you wonder. Oh, we're getting an update on them right now. Such a big fuel tank, as a matter of fact, that you wonder how the guy can see out the right side of the airplane. Uh, yeah, really. What happens to these tanks? So they, they put these tanks in the airplane. They fly, say, to Europe, deliver the airplane. Do these tanks just get trashed, or do they get recycled into an airplane that's coming westbound? Or generally, they get shipped back. They yeah. get shipped, shipped back, back a lot of the time, uh, okay. yeah. Yeah, but it's okay. interesting. The longest leg they're going to do is 3,303 nautical miles. Phew. Yeah. Where, where, where are they going on their flight now? Right. Where are they headed? They're, they're over the ocean, sort of. Yeah. Sort of they're headed to Guam. They're, they're Guam? doing uh-huh. the the Hawaii Guam leg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so go to the show notes. Um, you'll be able to go to the site that gives you a basically a more or less real time view of where they are right now and uh, see how their progress is going and make a little donation to ALS. That would be cool. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And in case you guys are confused, what ALS is? That's what people have called Lou Gehrig's syndrome for years, or Lou Gehrig's disease. Yes. Because yep. it's what filled that great baseball player. That's right. That's right. Uh, let's see now. Unless you guys object, I'm going to jump over these last three and uh, wrap this thing up. Do you, yep. Any of you desperate to talk about those last three? Yeah. Nope. No? Okay. Shout-outs. So we already did one of our shout-outs. Uh, one of the things we thought was going to be a shout-out, we talked about Build-A-Plane. That's a great, great program and project. Um, you guys have any other shout-outs you want to mention today? Yeah, my, my airplane is still for sale. My very nice Cessna <laughs> <laughs> Tell us once again what which describe does your airplane not, which for us. does not have the ECI cylinders that come under the AD. I might add, um, has a, a beautiful Peponk conversion in it, and uh, is ready for somebody to take home at their uh, convenience. It's uh, only got twenty two hundred hours total time on the airframe. What is it again? It's a Cessna one eighty two R model. And it okay. has 88 gallons of fuel, not like Carolyn uh, Garrett, but 88 is a lot with this airplane. It runs beautifully lean of peak, and uh, uh, you can easily go six hours. You gotta okay, and where, where is it listed, or how can someone get more information Alarisaviation.com about it? com has the airplane listed. and uh, spell A-L-A-R-I-S Aviation. Com, and there you can see everything about the airplane, including every logbook page, every STC. You can look at it close up and zoom in on it. You can uh, pretty much uh, get the entire history of which there is no damage, guys. No damage. That's great. All right. Other shout-outs? Um, Liz One Take Swain. Ha-ha. Okay. Uh, Liz uh, Swain, many of you will remember, um, former colleague at uh, AvWeb many, many moons ago. Um, She uh, uh, has a lot of different talents. One of them happens to have been uh, uh, serving as a television uh, anchor woman many years ago in the Shreveport, Louisiana area. Well, she's still doing video. She's still hanging around airplanes, and I spent most of the day with her today and some other people uh, doing some video uh, for AvWeb. Uh, here in, in uh, Sarasota, Venice, uh, mainly used my airplane as a prop, uh, but um, it was great to see her again. I'm 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 happy for her. She seems to be doing well. She and her husband Steve, um, and uh, it was just uh, great to see her again. And um, uh, thought I'd mention that. So that's great. There you go. That's great, folks. Yeah. Excellent. 
I wanted to mention, uh, literally give a shout out to one of our listeners. Uh, this is a fascinating situation that's that's brewing right, uh, literally the last twenty four hours on our in our forums area on the website. Um, a, a, a former a listener from a while back who apparently didn't listen to some episodes for a while um, and now has returned uh, as to trying to catch up. He goes by the name of Luca Berta, which actually might be his name. Uh, he signs his uh, his that, uh, that forum posting. That is his Luca. name. Um, yeah. And Luca uh, just uh, suddenly, uh, about 24 hours ago uh, from this point, uh, started posting uh, in the forums, catching up, responding to a bunch of things that uh, we that had been posted over the past few months, um, and not only responding with you know kind of quick little you know uh, answers and so forth. But he's begun posting. He has a, a just a huge, huge uh, uh, collection of information about flying, his own flying experiences, some of his friends, uh, some great photographs of his flights. Um, he he's, he lives, I believe, in in Italy, um, but he's flown all over the world, including around the United States. He's got some great pictures of flying around the states and and other places. He's just like um, this fl- this flurry of fascinating stuff that he's been posting, and others have been been adding to his stories with it's just a, an amazing thing that's going on in the in the uh, forums area over the last 24 hours um so uh, welcome back to luca and uh, thank yeah, you very, very much cool. for all the, the cool stuff you've posted there uh i i urge everyone to go and take a look and uh, read some of these things and check out some well, of these we, uh, photos. We, we love hearing from all of you and we love seeing you all post um, yeah i mean the, the yeah, so I was just going to say the forums have been and have been continue to be a great place, um, and and they were even prior to 24 hours ago with a lot of great people posting. The the thing that's particularly notable, at Luca, is that he's like posted. I think half of all the posts in the last uh, 24 hours uh, were his. Uh, you but they're all fascinating. There's some great stuff there, and uh, and others adding things to it. Uh, check out the forums. This is a long way of saying check out the forums if you haven't already. A lot of cool things going on in the forums. Uh, David, shout out. Yeah, just a quick one. You know, a lot of people have heard me talk about uh, the the trademark slogan for the Wichita area being, quote-unquote, the air capital of the world, because uh, Clyde Cessna introduced the community to aviation back as far as about 1911, and Cessna, Beach, Learjet, Stearman, uh, Mooney all got started and grew up here. They're not all here now, along with about 30-odd other airplane companies over the years. Uh, Well, just a couple of days ago, a new entity had its first lunch meeting, and I want to give a salute to the fledgling Wichita Aero Club. It's kind of a business-oriented aviation club modeled after the Wings Club in New York City and the Washington Aero Club, which I used to belong to and attend regularly. Uh, They are setting up regular monthly meetings. They're going to be bringing in some very interesting and uh, noteworthy speakers. They had Richard Avalafia, the the, uh, aviation industry analyst, for their inaugural meeting this week. Uh, Taking a lot of hard work and a lot of organization to get a lot of competing interests on the same page of the hymn book to pull this off. And what I'm hoping that they can do is take this momentum and transfer it to the uh, entity that they say that they're going to be supporting and sponsoring in their efforts, and that's the Kansas Aviation Museum. 
So hats off to the Wichita Aero Club, to my buddy Dave Franson, who's serving as the executive director, to all the folks that uh, really came together to get this launched, uh, corporate sponsors, founding sponsors. Uh, it's quite a good talk at the first meeting, and I'm looking forward to seeing many more others. And hats off to the folks at the Kansas Aviation Museum who have labored long and hard with less than stellar community support to put together uh, an interesting institution that has so much potential and so far to go. And I'm hoping the Wichita Aero Club helps them reach that. That's my bit today. That's Very great. cool. Very Excellent. cool. Very good. Wow, what a great uh, episode this has been. Uh, we just covered an, an incredible amount of ground this evening, um, some fascinating stuff, uh, but it's definitely time to stick a fork in it. So uh, uh, let me just say <laughs> thanks to all of you guys. Uh, Amy Lobota is, uh, is a freelance aviation writer and uh, also the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. You can learn more about Amy and her work at uh, the, uh, the magazine's website, which is wai.org slash magazine. Thanks, Amy. We're glad you could join us. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And, uh, um, well, we won't go into this whole you guys giving us a hard time with the Florida weather, but I'm coming down there. Just, uh, just about yeah, a month. Yeah, And yeah. you're just welcome. You're wary. welcome. He may bring New England weather with him. Yeah, 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 okay. And that's Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer. He's also a senior editor for Kip Plains Magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Learn more about Dave and his work at kipplanes.com, avbuyer.com, slash worldaircraftsales, and aea.net. And uh, Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist. He's currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. You can learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com or aviationsafetymagazine.com. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot. I'm a freelance writer and a new media producer. And you can learn more about me and my work at uh, jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, we want to send out a big thanks to uh, Jeff Scoffrey-Jet Ward for putting together our show notes and also to our many listeners and particularly to Mike Morgan for putting together the uh, show opening disclaimer clip. Particularly, the particular, we, uh, we ran the, uh, the Christmas one for the first time at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Well, that was we very, very thank creative. Randy. I think that was Randy Defoe's daughter that did one a couple of weeks ago. So Yeah, uh, we've had that one in the archive for a while and every now I like I like that one a lot. So uh but so, to all of our listeners uh, who put together these disclaimer clips, uh, we thank you and we're always looking for more of them, so send them along. And finally don't forget that you can visit with us all uh, at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, you can check out the wiki. Uh, that's at Uncontrolled Airspace airspace.com. So, anyways, David, what were you going to say? I was going to say go flying, folks, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. You'll live longer. There you that's go. right. <laughs> and that's enough talking for tonight. Let's go flying. Here, here. TTFM. <laughs>